Hey there, rock and roll podcast fans. This is Mike Hoban. Welcome to Rat Tales, the podcast that brings you the music and stories of the Boston rock scene that grew out of the mid-70s at the Rat and some of the other hellhole joints, each with their own sick charm. Hey there, Rat Tail listeners. Our guest today is Liz Borden, who first rose to Boston rock and roll prominence as the namesake, bass player, and leader of Lizzie Borden and the Axes, one of only a handful of woman-centric bands in the early days of the garage punk era in Boston. Liz later went on to form Lava Beat and the Finch Family and later the Liz Borden Band. She still writes, records, and performs today from her home base in Los Angeles as Liz Borden. So uh, welcome to Rat Tails, Liz. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Believe me, it took a while for us to finally connect, but this is great. And you're also the yeah. first woman that we've had on our show. And I'm mean, like, where are all the women? We had like six guys and I'm mean, like, we had to beat them. We had to look around and it's like, uh, so hopefully you'll be a first in a uh, string of people that we get on because we need to hear all the voices from this uh, from this era. I can I make think. some suggestions for you. Oh, I, I am going to be all ears so we can do that. So yeah. Um, 
So, you know, it's so again, one of the things I I wanted to make sure that I got your intro right. And then I think there was some women plays and women fronting bands, but the axes were actually one of the first bands that I saw on the scene, other than like Bob Kitson and the Thrills and, you know, the little guest appearance by the Runaways, which was a completely different thing than like a regular girl band. It was kind of, yeah, I was at the Rat. I was at that show. Um, I thought it was one show, but there was three. I didn't realize that until I talked to some folks. I forgot that people did. did like three night stands. So let's get the uh, yeah, house, the housekeeping out of the way. And it's just for the record, Elizabeth Borden is your real name. Lizzie Borden was your real name growing up and you grew up in JP, oh. right? No, I, well, I grew up in New York and Boston. Oh, okay. I lived in JP when I, um, so I lived just in Boston when I first moved here. Um, my parents, well, I was born in New York. My parents were both there. They got divorced. Uh, when I was about, they got divorced when I was 10 or 11, but my mother took a job when I was 13 in Boston. My father stayed in New York. So back and forth between the two. Wow. As an adult, I lived in JP and I lived in JP for quite a while. Okay. Um, but I love JP. So then um, that goes right into my first question. So what's your like childhood and, and more importantly, I mean, I'm at being a childhood divorce. I grew up in a single parent uh, household. So, and, you know, what's your childhood in the early formative years? Like, you know, what kind of music do you listen to? And then, you know, how did, how did your, uh, your musical taste evolve and, you know, things like that. If you could just give us a little history. Well, my childhood was very interesting. It was really good till about seven years old. And then, um, you know, there was some turmoil in the house, but um, musically, what, what's really great is my mother is an artist and was an artist, and my father loved music, and he had tons of albums, and uh, everything from, which one of my favorite songs to Sir Would Love album, to Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, to my mother had Janis Joplin, uh, Fanny, um, one of my mother's friends brought Fanny albums over. Uh, it was very diverse. And what, what I would do, it started very young. Um, so my father had huge speakers, didn't have any headphones. I wouldn't recommend this. Don't do this at home. <laughs> but I would put my head between the two speakers as a kid and blast. I mean, I even had Michael Jackson, you name it, Osmond's, Led Zeppelin, everything. And they were very into the arts. And so I had a lot of support as far as that goes. And, uh, but boy, did I like the music loud. <laughs> so, and I liked the rock. And uh, it was before, you know, punk rock came out. Um, but it was very, you know, no one cared. They, they supported the music thing. And from the time I was a little kid, I told my mother I was going to be a musician. So when did, I want to back up for the people who don't know who Fanny is. So tell us, how, what, what era was Fanny from? I thought they were like early 70s, but I can't They're remember. In the 70s, definitely the 70s. I don't have the exact date, but I'd say 73, 74. Susie Quattro came out around then also. Um, and they were an all-female band yep. made up of the Millington sisters, June and Jean. And um, they had people who, I mean, Brie Darling, who I love. She's a friend. So is June. Um, Alice DeBeer, they, they were a band of these female musicians who were incredible. In fact, David Bowie called them one of the best bands ever. And they were on, I can't think of which, which uh, a major label and they put out four or five albums. 
and they were just really good. But I don't know if people were ready for females who were that good, a full band of just female musicians. Um, I, I'm one of the people every year that wants them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They influenced a lot of people, men and women, and uh, including myself. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to call some of them my friends. And they, they're just incredible. In fact, a year or two ago, they put out a documentary called Fanny Walk the Earth. They put out a new album, which a lot of people plan, including Cherie. And it's just really good. They're just fantastic. Okay. So, um, so you're, say you're, when do you start turning to the kind of music that you would eventually play or, or so like, you know, is it like puberty 13? You start saying like, this is, this is what I want to, what do you get influenced by when you start playing? Cause I think you started playing the bass early, right? I started playing guitar. Okay. And I was a teenager when I first played out, which was my first two shows were the rat and CBGBs. And I liked punk the minute I heard it. Um, so I'm lucky enough to have been in New York. I'm lucky enough, good and bad. I had all the freedom in the world as a child, which I shouldn't have had. Mm -hmm. So I, would, I was always the same height I am now from the time I was a young kid. Nobody stopped me from going in the clubs. I would go and see BGBs and see the Ramones and you know, uh, Blondie. And I remember Debbie Harry being in other bands. I was way underage in these clubs. But the minute I heard Dead Boys, Ramones, I mean, I was hooked. That was it. When you said that you, Patty Smith. yep. Oh yeah. Especially Patty Smith. Patty when you, Smith. when you, when you, um, you said you first, you the first clubs you played in with CBGBs and the rats. So who were you playing with? It wasn't with Lizzie Borden. Then it was, it was, no. who'd you play with then? Uh, different punk bands. Uh, Crimes against nature was one of them. Uh, uh, what was the other one? Some just under my name, Liz, Lizzie Borden, but I was a kid and I would just get up and play with friends. And one of my, I'll, I can tell you the first two songs I ever sang out in public was one song that I wrote. And mind you, I'm like 14, 15 years old, but one was called Love in Leather. I wrote that. <laughs> so that was one of my first songs. And the other was Locomotion by Little Eva. And I got up and did those two songs um, at CBGB's. And, uh, and I also did them in the a club called The Space in Boston. I forgot about that. And those were the first two songs I ever played out. But I wrote Love and Leather. And uh, funny, very funny song. But, did, you, yeah. did you play acoustic or, did you, or were you playing with a band? Uh, rock. I mean, okay. electric. Electric. Yeah. Okay. Electric. And a lot of times I would just get up and sing. But I always had a guitar from the time I was a little kid whether I played it or not, but it, I would always try to play it. And then it just came naturally. I never had lessons or anything. So I just started playing. So you're bouncing back and forth with your, between the parents at, uh, between New York and Boston. Mm -hmm. So what, yeah. uh, what year do you think you're, you're starting to hit the rat? Uh, it'd be like 74, 70. 75. So that's like the ready Teddy years and like. I just got I just got the end of Thunder Train. Yep. And and I, all, everyone was older than me. Mm. And uh, but I would sneak in and sometimes the sound guy, Granny, would help me in the back door. And uh, I used to watch Barb Kitson uh, Thrills, who I yep. love Barb. Um, so I, I was kind of at the end of that. And I shouldn't have been in the club, but I was into the punk, you know, kind of like 
Thunder Train, that era. So, yep. Um, that's probably like the mid that's probably like 75 76 i'm guessing right okay yeah and I, you know i would sneak into places like um they're long gone what was it paul's mall jazz workshop oh god yeah yep down on boylston street I, I saw patty smith there um i'd see patty in new york so i i didn't i didn't care how old i was i i got in and i saw the bands i wanted to see and just that was my life that's what i did there's, there's no way we'd get away with that kind of stuff uh, now. now. Yeah, um, but nobody, nobody really cared back then. It was interesting. I'd go into Bun Ratties, nobody cared. And I was way underage. And, you know, I wanted to see the music. And my friends could all get in, so I wanted to go in. You know? all, all your older friends? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, no, one's no one stopped me. I'd say I got stopped now and then at a club called maybe Cantones, but I ended up living above Cantones. So then I oh, really? just took the elevator downstairs. <laughs> I definitely want to talk about some of the clubs later, but tell, why, why don't we go into, so how did you end up forming uh, your band? I mean, after you played with a couple of different bands, so when you, how'd you end up forming a Lizzie Boyd in the Axis? Tell that story. It's when you met Reader, I guess, in the um, yep. Rat or something like that. So if you want to. The Rat, yep. the Rat, yeah. So um, I was friends with Joan Jett and Joan was doing two nights at the Rat in Boston and uh, um, Rita somehow got backstage with a bunch of her friends and they were underage too. And back then I was very, very punked, punked out and I lived it and I acted it. I wasn't just a weekend punk. That was <laughs> what I was and what I did. So I'm sure I wasn't overly pleasant at first but then Rita came back the next night we started talking and stuff and then she found out I was in Boston a lot and um and I'd be on Lansdowne Street or I'd be at the Rat and she just kept kept getting in touch with me getting in touch and finally um I agreed to go to her parents house in Woburn Massachusetts I'd never been out that way and uh she had traded in a couple guitars and got me a bass, which was uh, blew me away that somebody did that. And uh, we rehearsed in her parents' basement. Did you want to play the bass, or did she just say, "Here, no, take this"? <laughs> no, I didn't want to play bass. I didn't even want to do. I, I had such an attitude and such a bad attitude. I didn't want to do anything. <laughs> but Rita won me over, and uh, we had a couple different band members that did not end up in Lizzie Bourne. The Axes actually all quit when I joined the band. And what was the uh, name of that band? The Hoodsies? Before it was Lizzie Borden, the yeah. Axis, it was Hoodsies or Hobnob. We used both. Okay. How did you know that? Well, I just read an article. I, I okay. tried to do a little research. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Digging deep. Um, so we were called Hoodsies or Hobnob, but she had she had some people with her, and then she brought me to them, and I looked like a little rabid dog. I was like, ah. And they decided they didn't want to be in a band with me. And uh, But Rita and I would play Wild Thing over and over um, <laughs> on, on the bass and then my friend cindy had a she's a drummer right cindy burrow yeah. yeah. yep she had a drum set she used as like a coffee table i said well you've got drums come play with us and uh we had a different singer at first daria smith who's fantastic she's all of our veterinarian now she made the smart decision of leaving the band and going <laughs> to vet school and uh so she was with us a little 
And then we added Kathy Perry on keyboards. Um, then Hadaria left and Heather Rice, who's now Feather, Heather Fahey joined on vocals. And then eventually Lisa Dario joined on guitar. So she went from the hoodsies and that was just you and um yeah, Rita, Rita. Had come up with that name. It was some other girls, they quit. Um, we actually did have a different different drummer named Cindy for a brief time, who was like 14. She ran off to Las Vegas with her boyfriend. Oh god. And so we needed a drummer. And uh, that was a that wasn't good when that happened. And uh and so my Cindy came in after she left, but yeah. So how soon did you uh you uh, girls thought you were girls then I can say that um no, we don't you, mind the girl yeah. thing but yeah um when you when you first started playing and uh what because you didn't you started playing around eighty one or something like that at the Rat or like uh, I mean at the club scene our first show was eighty or eighty one at a club called the Streets oh yeah and it didn't that club didn't last long but Digny Fingus was booking it he booked us. That was in that was in uh, Kenmore Square, but outside of Kenmore Square, um, down in, in, in it was Alston, Alston. Oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. Harvard and Com Ave. Right. Oh, the streets. It used to be called Gladstones when I was, was a kid. Was yeah, they used to have all cover bands that called Gladstones and the streets. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. Thank so you. For he, yeah, it was in August. Was it eighty or eighty one? I don't remember, but I, I knew that a week ago. Don't know it today. <laughs> but uh, um, COVID. <laughs> let's blame COVID. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I remember. I remember it was in August, and nobody had played out. You know, we hadn't played out as a group, but we had been rehearsing for at least a year, driving Rita's parents crazy in the basement. And we're like, okay, we just have to do this. Let's do it. And we had a great time. You know, the street. I still have my T-shirt from the streets. <laughs> what were you it's doing? Just just, it, but <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I get some yeah. T-shirts that haven't fit in a long time either. No, no. Um, what were you? So, what were you doing? For, like, it goes back up a little on your personal life. So, you're in a band, but what are you doing? With, like, what's your day job? Oh, I didn't have a day job really. I worked in clubs. Um, uh, at one point, when I was a kid, I worked in a pizza place, but I worked either. On Lansdowne Street, I worked at this club called The Space, and it was great because I basically everyone let me do whatever I wanted, and uh, which worked great for bands. And then when I started touring and stuff, you know, I I at that point did not have a, other people at jobs. I didn't just club stuff. So which is well, a job, but yep, yep, but it's not fun. really. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely I definitely want to talk about the space later because uh, that's always been one of my favorite clubs. That's some of the best shows I ever saw there. Um, the response opened it and closed it. Really? Yep. Wow. Yep. I, I didn't see sec human sexual response until I drove to Hudson, New York, about mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe seven or eight, maybe 10 years ago. They did yeah. a reunion show in Hudson, New York. It was at a small club. I I found out about it through somebody. I forget. I drove like 150 miles to go there. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, and yeah. but I but I never saw them during the heyday. I never saw them in the 80s or 90s or anything. So, oh um, my god! And then they did a couple of reunions at uh, House of Blues, which were fantastic. Yeah, I went to but both yeah. those shows. Yep, they were fan. They were. You're right. There. They were fantastic shows. I was um, there. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, we probably ran into each other a million times. And so I, I, you and I were talking uh, a little while ago and, um, and one of the things that uh, I talked about is when we, when we last talked, I told you, I saw you at Ed Burke's. And so I knew of you because they used to put, um, I used to love to just read the band names and just, you know, they used to be like uh, uh, Candy Striper Death Orgy was the name of a band. And I used to love just to read like I remember that the yeah. calendar magazine and just to read what the crazy. So I saw Lizzie Borden in the axes. Oh, they're playing at Ed Burke's. And I worked at the Beth Hill emergency room. So I went in there on like a Thursday night after work and I go in there and I see an all woman band. And they're like, wow, this is really cool. And, you know, I'm like a 25 year old guy or something like that. And like, wow, all woman band. This is fantastic. <laughs> so the first song that you guys do you do soldier boy and you do like this great okay. routine and then you end it with and so i forget how it goes but then the final words are because he's dead and i'm like nope. holy shit close. close so tell it me it was uh it was soldier boy you're dead <laughs> just like that that's the song I sing lead on and the keyboard player would take my bass and I would do this weird little dance and sing the words to the original soldier boys 
the oldies song, yep. but to our weird punk music. Yep. And people, people loved it. I did this weird dance. And um, yeah, we were, it was kind of a love, but yet kind of war protest song. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. With the ending. So. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah that, that was. was that was punk. I mean, I saw that and I said, that's the attitude. That's like you guys were for real. Um, oh God. I remember seeing yes. that. That was that was just like that's the first time oh I saw God. I saw you guys. I can't. And it was that's, funny because. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. He didn't have a lot of punk bands there, but Ed no. liked us. He liked us and he would have us play there all the time. It'd be other types of bands and then we'd show up. Eventually, he from moved us from Thursday to the weekends, and we played there all the time. I still have live cassettes from Ed Burks. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, I recorded almost everything we did, and now I have thousands of tapes <laughs> I have to de deal with. But yeah. Oh, I wish more of that was out on the internet, and maybe at the end we have to let people know how we can find. Um, I know Lenny, you've sent some stuff to Lenny, so we'll get it on the yeah. We'll get yeah. it on this uh, broadcast too.
so you're so you're playing uh you're playing in it's like the 80s you're playing all the you're playing the circuit you're playing the club so like i said you played um obviously you played the rat um and you played cantones and probably the club and um but the space talk a little bit about the space because like i said that that really was one of my favorite places i ever uh went to and i went there a lot but i i don't think it was only open for like a year or two right it was it was they kept wanting okay so the space was opened by women and it was oh, really? uh, a woman named janet katie and marlo and marlo was a huge force in the um she's passed away since and she also ran cantons and book cantons and marlo um started that over there with janet and katie and it, it was run by women started by women and uh it had a downstairs with a bar and you could order weird microwave pizza and then upstairs you go all the way up the stairs they'd have yep. music and there was a bar up there and it was just a great club but what happened was um is god this is how it was back in those days so people would be building things down there uh construction whether it be luxury buildings or people to live in because it was in downtown it was on it's broad street yeah to, for people that don't know cantones and um the space were both in the financial district so by day yes. you had all suits and by night you got these two punk clubs um and they, they, they were like punk it. clubs <laughs> yeah so these guys didn't like it and they'd send people in to beat us up i mean beat us up women Really, and guys, we had got Billy Borgioli worked there. He was in uh, Real Kids and other things. And uh, oh, they come in and beat us up. And then Marlo also was Canadian. So the, the government would show up to deport her all the time. because they didn't like the, the, the punk rock thing. But these men would come in and beat us up. And the poor guys that worked there would get beat up. And we'd all be running around. And you know, after a while, it did last a little over a year. And like I said, human sexual response was the first band and the last band and bands like the rentals, Jeff and Jane Hudson, you know, would play and a lot of good bands, but the, you know, Cantones had a little more clout and they didn't bother Cantones as much, but they did not like um, the space. And next to the space was- a So who would come in, this is all news to me. So the, um, in spit, cause that was above, that was like right in the middle of the financial district. You said broad no, street. No, it's not spit, space. What's that? It's not spit, you said spit. Oh, oh no, I, I thought I said space, sorry. Um, space, yeah. Uh, but at the space, so like who would come in? Uh, cause I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story about some brown shirts after, but what, what kind of guys would get like, like, like organized crime guys? guys? Or just constru construction guys? Nice or organized crime i mean people didn't like it there they didn't like there was a women's bar there and uh oh and they that's yep okay. somewhere or somewhere else was there and then the space was right around the corner from that and they just did not like that we were there and they didn't like the punk rockers they didn't beat up cantones but they did beat up the space and i think they oh you know what it was they wanted the property too they wanted to take that building gut it out and redo it and so they would do everything in their power to it was such a great place to play though and hang out oh god yeah and the bands were great but you know behind the scenes there was a lot going on there um that people did not want that club to exist so you know we dealt with a lot but marlo you know created that and book cantones and she was she was great made sure musicians got to eat at cantones so 
Oh, good. that's fantastic. That, that, I couldn't imagine like what it's like because I, you know, Cantones was some of the craziest experiences I've ever had. You're the dog. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay. So you're, so you stop playing early on and like you guys really, well, you, you got signed, um, which mm -hmm. didn't happen to a lot of bands in Boston. You were one of the few bands that actually got signed. I mean, like the neighborhoods never had a record. I still find that mind blowing. But um, they had a record, but not. Yeah, but they didn't have an album. They had an like album, an EP. Which yeah, is they, crazy, right? Totally. Yeah. I, I, when you listen to um, Lenny did Lenny, who's the producer of the show, Lenny Scaletta, he did this um, yeah. movie called Boys from Nowhere, and um, oh, yeah. and and you can see just how well they. I, I think that they. I don't know if it was in that movie or something else that I read that they kept waiting for the right <laughs> deal, and by the time the the you know they were getting the offers and they turn things down that, that they I think they had started to you know slide or something I don't even know what right. the story is but but um, I want to I, I want to know where girls from nowhere when that's coming out <laughs> well maybe if we can get some momentum going here when we talk later about uh, getting some more um some more uh, people on the show um yep. so so let's talk about the material so when you first started out you were playing I remember you were playing a lot of covers I remember particularly Stepping Stone which is always kind of a favorite of mine you guys did What did you do? You started off playing a lot of covers and then you started. Well, no. Oh, okay. We, no. I then you tell what me we, okay. what we did. No, we had a lot of covers, but one reason we had the covers, if a place, what we do is the covers and to get our songs in, we do covers, fit one of our songs in covers. When we played places like Ed Burke's, they wanted some covers. Yep. So um, 
we always want to slip our songs in too. So we'd like do a cover, throw ours in, do a cover. And somehow, and I don't remember what club in South Boston, we got booked as a Motown band, which is a joke. We didn't play Motown, but we did play a punk version of um, Set Me Free and My World Is Empty Without You. And it was a misbooking. We didn't know till we showed up there that we were booked as a Motown band, which we were far from. So <laughs> we'd, throw, we'd throw in covers. Remember this hit? We'd play one of ours pretending it was a cover. But no, we we also appreciate other people's music. And to this day, I I will do my version of people's covers. I mean, I'm a huge fan of all types of music. So I, I do like taking, whether it's Stepping Stone or you know, whatever song we pick and we get, we put our twist on it and we do, you're right. We did do them, our versions of them, but we did that to slip our songs in certain clubs that didn't want them. So. Yeah. I think that was, uh, that's one of the things I remember from listening to like, even like going back to thunder train um, when, when a lot of those bands came around, I guess what happened is uh, clubs would only book um, cover cover bands like I used to go, like I said, uh, streets, I used to go to Gladstones and it was all cover bands. And, um, and then I guess the rap was one of the pioneers of um, letting bands come in and play originals. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so that's, that's how the scene started to develop, I guess. But so let's talk about like your early years. Cause you, you folks did, did, I mean, you did well, you got signed, like I said, not too many bands got signed. So why don't you talk about how your like career kind of how Lizzie board and the axes went from being like a Boston staple to Sodom Couture. And I know you, you toured with a lot of really cool people too. So why don't we go into how the, the thing went and then get into the record company stuff. And, and then also like, I know that your sound changed. I, I listened, uh, I was able oh, yeah. to find a couple of things. So it went from, what did I wrote? From Never Found Guilty. And then uh, later on, I'm looking at something that's like Out of Touch, which is a completely, I mean, it's still a good song, but it's a completely different thing. So why don't we talk about that sort of evolution? Uh, I'll, I'll shut up and I'll let you talk. Well, Out of Touch was actually written. It's That was our first, I mean, one of our first songs that we wrote. I wrote it. Um, so it was at the same time of um, uh, Never Found Guilty and everything, but that's the one that people really, really liked. And that's the one that we chose. Um, Genya Raven, who is very, we're very, very close, um, came in to produce the Dead Boys and everything, but she's like my mother, my sister, my best friend. Um, she produced an EP for Lizzie Borden and the Axes and she took out of touch and made it more polished and everything. And then the video was made and it took off. I mean, that's that's what basically made us take off is out of touch. And V66, when the, when the video was first made. V66, we for the people who don't know, is a sort of local version of MTV that was on. Uh, exactly. They played a lot of videos, but they also featured a lot of local bands. Um, well, it was great because they do the playlist and it'd be like us, Madonna, you know, all the big people mixed in with all the <laughs> local people. And they they played us and we kept winning and winning the battles every night with that song. And I think we, we won more than anyone. We got a plaque award from them and everything, but they really made us known. You know, they really pushed us up because of playing the video and people love that video.
So out of touch was your, like your first like hit. That was the. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, because it's it. I would have thought that it was the other way around because I know that you end up having to change, but I'll let you tell the story. I'm sorry. You're right. So when we started out, we were very, very punk rock. And a lot of it is because we, most of us weren't really trained musicians. Um, what I love about punk rock is that it let a lot of people get up on stage who normally wouldn't have the chance and there was a lot of good things came out of it. And it gave us the opportunity to get together as a band and, and play and we could get out there and scream and bang on our instruments. And, you know, but throughout time, we evolved because we, we started, and that we always had a punk edge. I mean, to this day, I believe I have one, um, but we started knowing our instruments better. And then the songwriting got different and, um, it was just a natural thing. It wasn't anything planned. It's just, you know, after 10 years, you're going to be different and you're going to play different and music changes and your experiences change and what you write about changes. And, you know, we're, we'll always be punks, but, you know, um, it's just a natural progression as far as the music, you know, it went from punk and then there was new wave and then, rock, you know, we were more rock and, and we also didn't ever want to be tied down to one thing. We're huge fans of, uh, from the time we started, of well, girl groups or, or you know, the backing vocals. We always had, even if we're singing like Soldier Boy or, um, you know, uh, Bobby, where we kill our boyfriend in the, the song because he stood <laughs> us up for the prom. So, you know, naturally we killed him. We had great backing vocals. You'd think we were a girl group you know, as far as the harmonies and stuff. So we always kept that, but it was just a natural, and uh, you know, a way is, to. Is there any uh, girl group that really influenced like your songwriting or? Um... I would say uh, influenced our vocals. Yeah. Uh, everyone from the Shangri-Las, Lulu, uh, Dusty Springfield, uh, the Chiffons, the Ronettes, any of them. I mean, we were huge fans. And like Rita was also fans of Eric Clapton and, you know, a lot of the more rock bands, Zeppelin and all that. Um, somebody else like Motown. We all like the girl groups. So it's just, it's just a evolved. And, you know, originally I wrote most of the songs and then other people started adding some of their own songs. in. so it, we just naturally grew and changed and, you know, what happened so. so so let's go back so out of touch it becomes a hit on like local on v66 did mm -hmm. how do you end up going from there did you end up on mtv did you um yes okay and and when did you get signed if you want to talk about that you know the, the transition from a boston like a uh, favorite to um, well, regional to to right uh, to touring with with lizzie borden the axes um we had some local management, but a lot of our lawyers and different people were either in LA or New York. So even though we were based in Boston, a lot of our business um, was out of state. And we played New York, we played New Jersey. From the beginning, we played all over the place. And then as we got bigger and out of touch took off, then we'd start touring. And it would be out of touch it was probably Genia's EP that got us a lot, that she produced, got us a lot of attention. The songs on there. What and, was on that EP? Um, Where Are You, Out of Touch, Hearts Don't Break, They Tear, 
How does it feel? can't remember what else but those were the ones I remember and uh, we got, we got all kinds of offers we turned down to like we were playing in New Jersey one time and Debbie Gibson's manager comes in and <laughs> wanted, wanted to manage us and we're like no but nowadays they'd be like yes yes I will do that <laughs> you know so we, we always had all these great offers and crazy offers and uh you know, lawyers that had major um, clients, like one of our lawyers had Michael Jackson and Robert Plant, you know, diverse things, different lawyers. Um, so we had a good, well, our road crew was the best. We still have them to this day, but we had a good business. I don't know if they were good, but we had some powerful business people around us and they were always pushing us. And, you know, that's that basically they got our name out there into labels and things. And um, we never, we always aimed high, um, even when we were feeling not, <laughs> not great about things because if we were being harassed or whatever, but we always, we always aimed high. We always wanted to be on a label. And, uh, we had seen some other women get signed. I don't believe they all got the attention they should have. Um, Susie Quattro, Fanny, The Runaways, you name it. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of all-female punk bands from England and stuff. And um, so, yeah, we just, we, we had a lot of powerful business people. So when did you sign your, when did you get your first meet? You were with Capital and you did another one with A&M, right? So yeah. what was that experience? What, what, what did you do? What was your first signing? And when did you, um, what record was that? Was that, um, that guilty? Never found guilty. Yeah, yeah. that would have been 86, 80, 86, 1986. Okay. I think out of touch took off 85, 86. So after that, and, uh, and then, 
our singer left, which didn't do well for us. Heather Rice. Yeah. And uh, then we got a singer named Laura. And uh, it was a whole different thing once we had Laura. And that was, you know, when we switched over to other management and labels and people like that. So um, we, we honestly, we, and I don't mean to insult Laura because she was great and stuff, but probably when Heather left, we all should have probably folded in, but we started recording again. And, and I, I have a lot of the recordings that sound nothing like we sounded labels and management and lawyers always wanted to change us always. And in the beginning, we were not allowed to be ourselves. Um, I mean, we were kids from like. Oh, wait, I, I just want to stop. So when you said not allowed to be, when the when the labels came in, is that when they try to change you? Because I read about that, and I just want to see what that was yeah. like. Well, before that, even um, label. Of course, the labels didn't like the name, or well, the first one did. But um, from management to uh, lawyers. Anyone around us, we had makeover people. That was a whole funny thing. Um, really, really tried to fluff us out. Um, we were we were city kids and we were punk rockers, and they wanted us girlier. They wanted us more feminine. I mean, nothing, and we just could not be ourselves, even though we were. And well, don't say this. Don't say that. I actually had a lawyer say to me one time, see, I would go to some of the meetings with our manager at the time. And the lawyer actually looked at, looked at uh, his name was Peter. And, and he looked at me and said, I don't ever want to hear if anyone's gay in the group. Oh, God. If I hear anything about that, I'm dropping them just like that. Really? So, yep. And we had a little bit of everything in the group. So yeah. we had straight, we had gay, we had bi, we had, you know, so um, none of that could go on. So they hired these great makeup, makeup and makeover people. And <laughs> they took us shopping in the village in New York and spent thousands and thousands of dollars on our outfits and our hair and Oh my God, people were miserable. I mean, we were just like, I actually got picked on the least. I already had crazy hair and I got to stick with my black, but it was like this weird flashy outfit. I'll have to send you some pictures of it. It's ridiculous. Well, I actually, I even made oh, no. a note when I was so, I there's a never found guilty video that I think you're playing at oh, Spit. Yes, that's it. And so it's like, I look at, so I look at the, at the, the, the video and I'm thinking yeah. to you and never found guilty is in my opinion, a much more rocking song and a more punky song than out of touch. I think. I wrote or at least that. It, Thank yeah. You. yeah. It's all, oh, it's a great song. Um, Thank you. And, uh, and so it's, it's, you're playing. And so I see Rita and Rita looks like she's ready to go to like an eighties cocktail party. Oh my God. Do you believe the clown outfit? Yeah. The yeah. And then, thing? and then same thing with, uh, with Heather, she's got like, she's, you know, they look like they're ready to go on a date, you know? And then you've got, even though you're wearing leather, it's extremely fashionable and it's a really nice outfit with a skirt. And I'm it's like, leather looking. It's but, not actual, but it's le it was okay. leather looking. <laughs> I was wondering about that. Okay. So it's, it's leather at leather esque. And, and then, then they uh, put me in all boots with spikes, which I could never wear now. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and then Cindy, the drummer, they put her in this blue kind of clown outfit like Rita has. Yep. Heather, they put the purple mid 
drifts top and then Kathy Perry looked like she should be on Dynasty, the keyboard player, between the <laughs> hair and the Joan Collins outfit, you know, because everyone had the shoulder pads. The outfits were ridiculous and we we're just trying to try to do the right thing and try to make it. In fact, we played CBGBs and Genya came, Genya Raven. Um, and I love Genya, total New Yorker, you know, produce the dead boys, produced us, produce the shirts, tons of bands, but does not mince words. And we get up there in our outfits and she calls me over. I'm on stage. She goes, get over here. And she goes, what the hell happened to you guys? I'm like, I know. She goes, I can't even, I mean, she just read me the riot act that we even let these clothes go on us and everything. And I'm trying to, I'm like, I just have to play the show and get through it. And she was like, oh no, this can't happen. So it was really ridiculous. It really was. So now, was that a lot just like sort of like sexism generated because of, you know, male males yes. telling you like what to do and just like, oh, you 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 need to be cute. You need to have a babe factor or something like that, because that's I mean, that's that's what it kind of looked like to me when I was looking at the video, because the song is so raw. And then the, yes. the look is like, uh, OK, like you said, Dynasty was the per they, they look like di di like they were, you know, oh, my God, being costumed yeah. by the Dynasty designer. I noticed I got a nice shot of my butt in the Never Found Guilty song. <laughs> I got <laughs> to go back and look closely. Song. <laughs> and then, then, then I'll, you don't realize what you have when you're younger. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I zoom in on my butt. I'm like, I was horrified. When I'm when you're younger, everything's horrifying. But um, 
they did they didn't want us to have an edge and let's face it our music had an edge oh that's our a attitude. really edgy song with like you know like i said women look like they're ready to go on a first date with oh a with, God, a, with a with an accountant or a hedge fund manager you Which know never was going to happen <laughs> well you know if they were nice maybe but um <laughs> uh no because one of the problems with that they didn't like is that's who we were. I mean, we were punk rockers. We had an edge, especially me. I was like, you know, when the makeover people are grabbing me and they actually handed me a Betsy Johnson polka dot and striped dress and the drummer, Cindy, and Cindy's from Philadelphia, um, looked at them and goes, don't hand her that. If you, she'll kill you if you hand her that, <laughs> you know? So they did put me in black, but, you know, they just didn't want us to be ourselves. And that was very difficult and because that's who we were we were not putting on a show or pretending who we were or faking it we just as soon beat you up in the middle of Kenmore Square I mean that's how it was you know it's like um there was always fights in the middle of Kenmore Square at two in the morning but um you know it just didn't work they wanted us to be and then they did it to the go-go's too I mean the go-go's were very punked out and punk looking and then early on yeah yeah you know they just they didn't like it. They didn't like who we were. They liked the idea of the off-female band and ones that did become capable musicians. And, you know, they liked the idea, but they didn't want us to be ourselves. And that was just how it was. So. So when you were, so you guys are in your heyday, uh, one of the things you did is you, um, so you did an, an album with Capital and A&M, and then you, you've toured with a lot of uh, really well-known groups like the Ramones, Spinal Tap, oh, Cheap yeah. Tricks. You want to talk about some of those experiences, like some of the fun road things that you did or or just crazy sure. things that happened? Or, you know, I always like to hear the stories when people... Um... Well, what's funny about Lizzie Bourne and the Axes, and people don't realize this, in the 80s, we didn't do drugs. In fact, we barely drank. We were one mm. of the... But everyone to this day thought I was high or thought I was doing something. And so we would, we remember a lot and we would observe a lot. I'm not saying I never did them, but yeah. when Lizzie Bourne the Axes, I'm like, oh. Yeah. Really, really an exception to a lot of the Boston bands, the guys that I know, a lot of the guys I know are like, they're sober, that's how I know them. It. So yeah, yeah. Bands gave us a hard time for not doing them. Wow. And uh, I'm not saying we're, we were angels, but when we, when we were doing our music, we were doing our music. And, uh, but we, we toured with the best. We were one of the only bands to ever tour and play with Spinal Tap, um, which was so much fun. And one of the shows, the Boston show was at the channel and um, everything that could go wrong went wrong. For some reason, the roof started leaking, the electric would screw up and, and they stayed in character even with everything going wrong. Well, it um, was Spinal Tap, that's what's supposed to happen. <laughs> Well, they didn't want these things to happen, but they did. <laughs> yeah, like in real funny. life, they happen. Ceiling issues, water pouring. Our lead singer didn't even show up. I mean, everything went wrong. And finally, she shows up. We're already started the show. I mean, she got stuck in traffic. It was just a whole thing, but it was one of the best favorite shows ever. And I just remember they're, they're nicest guys. And I'd be like, say, at a sound check or something, um, I'd be playing pinball in. Michael would come up, Michael McKeon, and he'd be playing next to me. And I'd be looking up going, 
oh my god that's lenny from lenny and squiggy (laughs) (laughs) but they were the nicest guys i had fun with them ramones chaos that was complete chaos and i enjoyed that i also was friends with them off stage and i'd you know go be in new york and hanging out with uh dd a lot and uh joey and johnny's the only one i didn't hang out with but um um so they i knew them anyway and it's so much fun playing with them flock of seagulls played with flock of seagulls and one of the reviews called us all flock of hairdos um uh i played we played with so many people tommy two-tone cheap trick motley crew joan jett um god it's a long list i can't even remember everyone but i want to back up to early in the interview and talk about joan jett so you said that you met joan jett did two nights at the rat um that's how you got to know her no Um, i knew her before that i knew her before that how, how did you know her from when you were playing in new york or yeah, music and the runaways and all that. Yeah, okay. I knew her because I just I was always around and stuff. And when she left the runaways, um, well, the runaways broke up. Uh, Kenny Laguna took her from L.A. and brought her to New York and stuff. And, you know, nobody would sign her. And they were like trying to push the album and stuff. But I, I knew her before. before Why would nobody rat. sign That's her? I mean, she's I mean, she's so good. Every label turned her down every single label so then they started their own and then boardwalk records got interested and oh what's her the other label but no i knew her before that and that's why i was was backstage and that's when rita came in but without joan there'd be no uh lizzie board in the axis because that's where rita ended up that's where i was and uh so yeah so that's where we met and uh, I knew a lot of people even before Lizzie Bornex. It's just because I was always around, you know, and hanging out with all the musicians in New York or Boston. So, so um, oh, actually, I have to. Lenny asked me to make sure that I asked you this. Speaking of uh, like uh, interesting people, that he said uh, to ask you about your experience with Peter Tork. <laughs> I love Peter. A oh, cheap trick too is one of my favorites. Um, Peter. So I had played with Davy Jones and I'd played with a bunch of the monkeys and I had played with Peter before, but didn't really know him and stuff. And uh, Peter had moved to Massachusetts at one point and I was friends with his brother, Nick. And so Nick is a wonderful musician and he also is an artist and does comics and things. And so uh, Nick Torkelson. And so I got to know, actually know Peter through Nick and hang out with Peter and everything. And uh, funny, funny guy, nice guy, good musician. And then one day they said to me, hey, you want to play? He asked me, do you want to play Stepping Stone with me? I'm like, hell yeah, Mm. I want to play Stepping Stone with you. And I cherish that video. I've got it on video. Thank you. 
just you know through his brother and hanging out and he was living in Massachusetts and um and even when he wasn't living here he'd come through and in fact he you know uh he was very involved and he was very supportive of women's music actually female musicians um he was friends with June Millington from Fanny and June runs a rock and roll girls camp in western Massachusetts and Peter would go out there and support that and stuff, but he's just a great guy, fun, fun guy. That's a really good segue when you talk about being supportive of women, because one of the things that I really would like to talk about, um, I started to bring it up with, I, we did, uh, Johnny Angel came on the show a little while ago, and Johnny and I started to talk about, even just for a woman-fronted band in Boston that Barb Kitson had a lot of, had a lot of difficulty when she came around and um and so we started to talk but johnny and i both have add so um we lost <laughs> the thread and never came back to it and I've, I've been kicking myself ever since and i go oh, good now i can ask uh, lizzie so what was it i mean what was it like because it was it was i found the punk scene in boston to be welcoming to a lot of different like people like for instance as homophobic as as the time were like in the 70s um i remember seeing lots of gay folks in 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 uh punk things and it was never an issue it never seemed to be an issue with that crowd but that's why i was right. kind of surprised to hear the hostility towards women because you would think that men would be even worse with gay men than they would with women but apparently that wasn't the case i heard you that you you folks had some, some difficult times and i wonder if you could talk about that i hmm. appreciate it yeah um well first i want to just mention that one of the people i would sneak in and watch would be barb kitson and uh when she passed i wrote a whole thing and i i hope johnny still has a hold of it uh, has a copy of it um that johnny read at her service i wrote a whole tribute to barb kitson and uh, um, it would be great to get a copy of that. But um, she was somebody who was one of the few females that you could actually go watch perform. Robin Lane was playing back then too. And she was just up there and, you know, kicking ass, you know? So she's somebody I would sneak in and uh, watch when I was younger. I just wanted to say that because she is no longer with us. And I think she they, passed away. They were brilliant. They, I remember the first time I saw them, I just was like completely, utterly blown away by right. how good they were. Um, well, I think she passed away not knowing 
And that's one reason I wrote this whole thing about her and gave it to Johnny. But I think she passed away not knowing um, what she meant or what what um, she had done for, you know, younger women watching her and stuff. So I just wanted to mention that. But um, as far as it was definitely a boys club, definitely yeah. a boys club. And for example, when we were first starting, uh, we play with the Bristols a lot because they just put girls together or they put yep. us with girls night out. Uh, you know, they put all the girls together. In fact, it was either New Hampshire or Maine, Bristol's and Lizzie Bourne, the Axes were playing together and we drive up there. Big sign, girls, 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 like we were strippers. Uh, We have nothing against strippers, but you know, we weren't. (laughs) And uh, we all just looked at each other. I remember looking at them and they looked at us and we go, should we leave? But no, (laughs) we we went and played. And um, it's definitely a boys club. And, and back then there hadn't been a lot of female musicians. I mean, the runaways had played and, um, they were more like a novelty though. So, I mean, as much as I appreciate how many, how much talent came out of that band, it was more like a Kim Fowley kind of, I've always thought of it as being a Kim Fowley, like let's just put a novelty act really? together. And I mean, that, that's I'll how argue. I viewed it. It may, it may I'll not argue be. with you against that, but yeah, okay. but, but yes, Kim did, did do his thing, but, uh, you know, as years went by and we, we didn't realize it then, but when you think about it, guys didn't know how to act toward female musicians, you know, these, these men and guys cheering for all the other men, Steven Tyler, they're all over the guys. They don't even realize like they know how to worship the male musicians. But when you think about it back then, they would look at females. They didn't know how to react to a female band, not to defend them, but I am in a way it's like, no, no, you should. Again, it it was new. And, um, you know, there were some like Chrissy Hind or people like that, but it wasn't an all-female band and they did not know how to respond to a female band. They just didn't. And I would watch guys just looking at us and a lot of them really liked us and stuff, but um, we got hassled more probably from some of our fellow musicians in Boston and some of the um, club people. In fact, at the rat and Jimmy Harold did not tolerate this. Um, it was one Halloween we were playing and the people that actually worked there were throwing things at us, squirting something that was burning out of squirt guns at us and just really giving us a hard time. And I snapped, jumped off the stage and attacked them all. And mm-hmm. uh, I did. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. The people, and I knew them too. I'm, I couldn't believe that people I knew were doing that to us. And so I snapped, jumped off the stage. Jimmy did deal with it and did fire some people and um, reprimanded some people. But um, we would find more from the male musicians. The male fans, a lot of them would stand there at first and then just look at us. But then, you know, as punk went on and stuff, the male fans loved it. And we had a lot of male fans, a lot of female fans, but we did get, we did get um, physically assaulted and we did get um, as far as being hit or things thrown at us and stuff. And we did have to fight a lot. And after a while, we didn't have to do that. And like you said about punk rock, the, the original punk rockers were very accepting. I mean, yep. we had guys in dresses, we had gays, we had straight, we had, the hardcore scene wasn't as much as accepting, but the punk rock was, and we had everyone. 
you know, no one was discriminated against. Everyone was welcome. And we, if you think about the rat, we had two transgender um, people, both named April, who were mm -hmm. there night after night after night. And uh, um, so anything kind of went. So the scene itself was very accepting, um, but it was a boys club. It's like, it was always like the boys this or people putting out the boys records or, you know, even to this day, a lot of the reunions and, I, and it's, it's the same old guys, but I can tell you right now, as difficult as it was, and it was, I mean, we cried, it was difficult a lot. Wouldn't admit it then. I'm too tough, mm. but we, you know, we did go through a lot and we did get a lot held back a lot and we did get a lot of verbal abuse and actually being beaten up and stuff. And, um, a lot of those guys, and I'm going to say it now have grown up to be decent men Yep. and they have daughters, which I love mm. and, uh, that'll do it. <laughs> uh, no, really. They, I mean, they, you know, because we're all, and I'm going to say something else too. We're all very, um, they, you know, we all still know each other and it's really weird because when I'm by myself as Lizzie Borden and all the punk clubs, no one bothered me because I'm one of them hanging out. It was when I was Lizzie Borden, the axes on stage, but a lot of the people who gave us a hard time grew up to be great men. They have daughters and children and wives. But another thing though, about the scene the bands aside, is we all stuck together all these years. To this day, if somebody needs something, we rally. Randall died the other day and died in his sleep. He was in Scruffy the Cat, the drummer and stuff. Yep. Talk about just the sadness and outcry and just the, it's just like, it's like one goes, we all feel it. And somebody needs something, we've rallied around them and we've done benefits all the guys, all the girls, I mean, no matter who. So at one part, I'll say that we have the greatest bond of people that hung out together in the clubs and stuff, separate than the music, you know? And to this day, if somebody needs something, we all, we all rally. So it's kind of like a yin-yang up, down, like weird, weird situation, you know? But I don't know. It was, uh, a lot to go through back yep. then. So just um, in, in terms of the axes, so you, yeah, I just want to get the timeline right. So you, um, you, you do a couple records, you tour a lot. This is all during the eighties and what happens? What, why do you guys break up? What happens? Um... Well, at the time we had a different singer and we had a different drummer in the end. And those are two people who were gone, Cindy and Heather who as a band, the five of us or six or who was ever in a, a original people, um, we were great together. And once that got screwed up, it was just like, it just didn't feel right. And Rita and I, the new singer, a different drummer, were in the studio and we're recording some demos for labels and it just, just wasn't right, didn't feel right. And the labels didn't even want us to use our name anymore. And Can you they, change your name to Mat Matahari or something like that? Or is that which I hate, but yeah, they made okay. us do that. And um uh in fact there is a there is something released under Matahari that you can find um on Boston does the Beatles. Um 
we do the song boys and it's one of the most ridiculous versions I've ever heard in my life. But anyway. When I was a young girl, my mom used to say, watch out for boys. You can be friends, but if you get too close, you'll never be happy again. That's not what my friends say. I've been told when a boy kisses a girl, it takes a trip all were in the studio they didn't again changing us completely the music the songs I wrote did not even sound like the same songs and Rita who is my family my sister to the end the guitar player looked at me and I saw this look in her face and she we're in New York and she walked out and I'm standing there like this I go she goes I'm not I can't do it I'm not doing it and she leaves I'm like oh my god and I'm standing there by myself and I'm looking around and the keyboard player, Kathy, was still in the band. I'm like, who are these people and why am I even here at this point? I go, Rita's leaving, I'm leaving. So I left and that was it. And certain, it did become some legal issues for me and stuff because of that. But um, I just, Rita left, so I left. I'm like, that's it. Rita's going, I'm going, that's it, we're done. So, so it just died right in the studio right in the studio. And I was listening to what they did to my songs. And you'd hear the original version, it would be like rock and hard and all this. And then they'd, they'd have us go in and play all this like fluffy, I, don't, I can't even describe it. It was like just a bad band. And I'd be like, oh my God. But again, I'm trying to do the right thing and make it and make money and do this and that. And I was like, okay, I'll stick it out. But the minute Rita left, I'm like, no, that's it. Rita's gone, I'm gone. It's not the same without Cindy, without Heather, without Rita. Kathy was still there, but no one else. So yeah, that was it. So did you, I think you uh, you said you hadn't taken a break from music except for after uh, Lizzie Boyd and the Axes broke up. So did you go on hiatus and then you get back together with um, with Rita later for Lava Beat or? I had a breakdown basically. I didn't know what to do with myself. I'd been in Lizzie Boyd and the Axes since I was a kid all the way up until 1988 or 89. So you know, those are years where you suddenly hate your 20s and you're like, okay. So I just, I remember going home and I sat on the couch, kind of shocked going, well, what do I do now? Because I didn't really know anything else. And, and you know, that's what I did. I didn't have a day job. It's, I, mean, I put my heart and soul into that. That's all I knew. I just laid on the couch and I stayed there a long time. I mean, I don't know how much time went by, months, whatever. And I was just like not leaving the house and just so depressed. And finally Rita called and she goes, we have to do something. We have to mm. do something. So we went in a whole different direction and did Lava Beat. Lava Beat won some awards, some Boston Music Awards or what else, a, a couple awards. And um, it was like a dance psychedelic. There's a couple videos you can find. Um, one of Green Tambourine, a cover, and then uh, a couple others. But it was just a whole different direction than Lizzie Bourne the Axis. But thank God Rita called. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, let's do it, you know? Probably snapped you so out of your did. depression. 
yeah, then we, we traveled and played and it was good. It was good to be back into it. Did you make so, uh, any uh, records uh, or? Yeah, it's actually a very good CD. Um, very well produced. I mean, totally. I'll, I'll have to get you a copy. I'll get you a copy. And uh, dance kind of fun and upbeat. I'm not necessarily an upbeat songwriter, but <laughs> upbeat and fun. And I, I don't know. I was manic or something. I don't know what it was. It was completely upbeat and like, ah. So that's what we did for a few years.
And then um, to me, music was getting too polished, too synthetic, you know, everything. And thank God grunge hit. And the minute I started hearing harder music again, that was it. I did the Finch family, which was very grungy, very hard. And I did that for many years and we played all over toward. And uh, so that was good to bring you back to music reality. So that was a, a good thing. Was Rita that. in that project too? No, well, no, no, she wasn't. Um, Kelly, my best friend was the bass player. It was all different people. And it was a good group of people. But after that, when I started the Liz Borden band, um, Lisa Dario, um, yep. guitar player for Lucy Borden, the Axes, and Rita, when I started, they were in it at first, you know, um, they were just doing it to get it going. Uh, so it was great. It was me and Rita, John Kokus was the drummer and Kelly was the bass player. So it was almost all female at first. And then, then it evolved and became a whole mixture of people and stuff. But um, so Rita basically plays now when we do reunion shows and that's, that's what she does. She's got about a hundred guitars. They're all pretty, but she's not really playing out. So I had a, a conversation with a couple of my friends that are guitar players and there's a sort of like guitar addiction that goes to people. They just love to buy guitars. I mean, we have a little guitar museums in their basement and they, oh, they don't even play enough. them that much. Yeah, exactly. You can't have enough guitars or basses or electronics or, I mean, you know, it, there's never enough. So, and people who aren't musicians don't always understand that. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, so. So let's take it up till today. Um, and it's, um, I listened to, uh, I know you're still playing and I listened to uh, the, the latest record that he had, Dancing on the Moon. It was like the, the cut that I heard. It's a really yeah. good cut. So I, I heard the cut on your uh, website and then I saw a video version of it when you, it's, a, it's the COVID version. We have uh, five different musicians coming in and playing it, but um, with, all, with all you, um, yeah, with all you people in, in your little boxes, you, the, the, the Zoom video. Oh, but there's a real video though, too. Oh, no, no, I haven't seen that one yet. I'm oh, you have to it. look okay. at that one. It's an actual video concept, you know, concept video. But um, so Dancing on the Moon is actually, even though it feels pretty and upbeat, it's about loss and death and losing people. And when I wrote it, there were a lot of people, I mean, more now but there there are a lot of people passing away and a, what really hit me was a couple of my friend's children had passed away from drugs yep and uh and one of them was very talented and just a great kid but had some mental illness and drug abuse and it really gutted me and i can tell you right now my friends have not been the same since their children have been gone and then other people had passed away and it was really just getting to and this is this is right when COVID is hitting and stuff. And so basically that song's about loss and, but it also is pretty and upbeat and um, people really like that song. I mean, when they hear it, they really like it. Which it's a great song. And After I listened to it, I was driving away and I'm like, what the hell is this song on my head? And I went, oh, it's Dancing in the Moon. Before 
One of my favorite things is songwriting and when people like it and appreciate it, it makes me very happy. And uh, when COVID hit and I'd go live and Sarah would go live um, at three in the morning, two in the morning, everyone kept requesting do dancing on the moon. And uh, one, one person in particular really liked the song and I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. And she got really sick and had several surgeries and went into a coma. And they could, they tried everything to wait. And this is a true story. Okay. There's witnesses. They tried everything to wake her up. And she's a, was a huge Lizzie Bourne, the Axis fan and a huge fan, very supportive of me throughout my career. And she really was obsessed with dancing on the moon. So her friend wrote to me and said, do you have like an MP3 or anything you can send me in that song? It's her favorite song. We, they've tried everything. The nurses are going to play it in her ear, Right. And she'd been in a coma, nothing worked. She woke up. She woke up after hearing the song. It's a true story. Wow. And I, I was so blown away. I was just like, it's amazing what music can do. It's just like the song meant that she since passed away, unfortunately, but um, the song meant that much to her. They, I mean, they tried everything medically they could possibly do. Mm. The song did it. So power of music, you know? So uh, I just love stuff like that. Oh, God, that's a great story. What I'm going to do, because, you know, right before the pandemic, I had the new album. Actually, I had a Liz Borden and the Bordens album came out around the same time as Dancing on the Moon, my solo. Um, so I got these two albums and I was supposed to go on tour, tons of merch, all this stuff. And then bam. Yep. And the, the guys you see playing with me in the squares. Yep. They're good. I ended up I ended up, they're really good. I ended up calling them the man band because these guys <laughs> were supposed to play with me. They worked really hard. We had a tour. We were going to all these shows. I mean, we put our heart, our soul and everything into it. So I'm going to eventually re-release those two albums because the pandemic took the wind out of them. I want to do some shows with those guys because they put so much into it. We, I call them the greatest band that has never played. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to be releasing that and doing that. I'm also doing acting. Um, yeah, talk a little bit because that's when you and I first started talking a few, you know, last couple of months ago. So you would yeah. you had a, you we had gigs. You were on the set when you told me. Yes. So what's that all about? <laughs> well, I'm 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 sitting. I've always uh, loved acting. In fact, I did a couple of years at Harvard Extension. I did theater drama with a wonderful woman named Bronya Wheeler, and. Uh, so when I when pandemic hits and I end up out here in California, I'm like, well, you know, I, I see all these auditions and things. I'm like, well, I'm going to be an actor. So I uh, 
auditioned for a few things and got parts and uh, I have two movies in the can. I've got a couple coming up. Uh, two of them got delayed because of COVID that were supposed to happen in January. So who knows if they'll ever happen. But I really enjoyed it. And the good thing about it, and nothing against bands, is um, it's something you can do on your own and, mm. you know, not have to check everyone's dates and everything. I, obviously, I want to be back in a band. So I'm really loving that. Um, I've been producing the band Stormstress, and that album should be out soon. And Stormstress, uh, they're from Boston, right? Oh, yeah. They yep. played, uh, they were playing outdoor at Herder Park in, um, in Brighton. Um, they did like a Thursday night and I was going to run down and see them. They were playing with somebody else that I liked. Um, I didn't know Stormstress, but someone else I liked was on the same bill. Um, yeah. Okay. I didn't know that was your, your, uh, your people. So oh, I'll yeah, definitely I, see I, them when they come out. They were Flight of Fire and got rid of the singer and then they became Stormstress. I produced the Flight of Fire album also. They're like my kids. And, um, really talented. I mean, you got to see these, these girls play. And we've been, we started the album before the pandemic and we've had to do it in little spaces here and there. And I'm producing from here and uh, at the Den Studios, uh, Doug Batchelder in North Reading, Massachusetts is where it's being recorded. And I mean, thank God for technology nowadays. Imagine yeah. if you still do tape, you'd never be able to do anything long distance. And so I'm very excited about uh their album coming out. It's been a long time producing that. Sarah Fitzpatrick and I are producing that and just plugging along, you know, trying to make the best of things. That's all. All right, Liz, it's been fantastic talking to you. Uh, yeah. And then well, when, when you come back out here, if you do want to show, I got to make sure that I find, find oh, you know, out I'm about doing. it. I am coming out in April. Um, Gary Summer is a good friend of mine, puts on the um, music collectibles extravaganza and there's going to be one in April in Boxborough, Massachusetts. And I'm the, one of the guest celebrities. Um, I know Charlie Farron, Robin Lane, a bunch of people, Mark from, Th uh, Th uh, what's the name? Mark Bell's doing it. Um, Cherie Curry is going to do it. A bunch of other well-known musicians. So I'm going to be back in Massachusetts in April. It's in April. It's called the collectibles. Um, it's the music collectibles extravaganza. Okay. And you can Google it. There's one in March. I'm doing the April one. And uh, so I am going to come back and, and do that. Oh, I'll definitely go out there and I'll introduce myself when I see you. Yeah, I'll send you the info. Okay, fantastic. Okay. It was great talking to you, Liz. Thank you. I, I appreciate you coming on. It was finally we able, able to get it together. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. All right, thanks. Good night. Thanks a lot. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to Rat Tales, Boston Rock Stories. Rat Tales is produced and directed by Lenny Scaletta and Mike Hoban, with a huge thanks to Medford Community Media in beautiful downtown Medford, Massachusetts.